And now a reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 2, beginning in verse 13 through 21. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who were selling cattle, sheep, and doves, as well as those involved in exchanging currency sitting there. He made a whip from ropes and chased them all out of the temple, including the cattle and the sheep. He scattered the coins and overturned the tables of those who exchanged currency. He said to the dove sellers, Get these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it is written, Passion for your house consumes me. Then the Jewish leaders asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? What miraculous sign will you show us? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jewish leaders replied, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But the temple Jesus was talking about was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Amen. One spouse feared their spouse was going deaf, so they tried a little experiment. The spouse doing the testing started at one end of a large room and began to whisper, Can you hear me? No answer was heard. So they moved to the middle of the room. Can you hear me? No answer was heard still. So they got right next to the spouse's ear and said, Can you hear me? For the third time, said the spouse originally in question. Yes. I can hear you. <laughs> the tables were certainly turned on the spouse that was so sure their spouse was the one with the hearing problem, weren't they? In fact, it was the spouse imposing the marital hearing test that was losing their hearing. Isn't it funny how that works sometimes? And not just with hearing and not just in committed relationships. The gospel shows us that we can look at ourselves and our own deficiencies and or disabilities, that we don't need to look at others so much. Jesus cleanses the temple by throwing out the money changers and overturning their tables. He lets people know that his father's house will not be run by the rules of the marketplace. It will be run by a different set of rules, a turning of the tables set of rules. Again and again in his ministry, Jesus showed his disciples and anyone with the eyes to see a better way of living in a world so resistant to compassion and mercy and justice as its rules. Have you ever thought of the gospel as Jesus turning the tables on the entire universe? Many of us hunger for a different set of rules. We long for a jubilee experience, the kind the Israelites had from time to time, in which all debt was canceled, all the land re redistributed, all past mistakes forgiven. Every seven years from whence comes our sense of 
sabbatical, things were sort of evened out. Wouldn't it be wonderful to even out our personal lives today, to turn the tables around and start again, to let go of the mistakes we did make, the hopes we forgot, the dreams we destroyed? Wouldn't it be fun every seven years or even every 70 years to have another chance at this thing called life? Wouldn't it be fun to be out of the clutches of the old eye-for-an-eye, tooth-for-a-tooth crowd? To stop paying off our credit card debt with new credit cards eventually? Not to owe any more, but to have the slate wiped clean? To live in a world not ruled by the accountants and the money managers, those that lie and bank on the dishonest riches they have received from cheating others? If you were around last Sunday, you heard me preach a sermon about how Jesus ultimately rejected violence, even in the act of the cross. Some of you will be naturally wondering, but what are we to make of him confronting the money changers and turning these tables over? Without taking too much time, if you're thinking that because of what I preached last week, do you remember when I talked about the right balance between calling out the injustices we see, and loving those who are being harmed by the injustices? Well, that key is still super important today and always. You see, on countless occasions, we find Jesus healing the sick, feeding the hungry, and spending time with those uh, in society that were rejected when we read the Gospels. Now, keep in mind Jesus did not harm anyone here by turning these tables around or whipping them. He chased them out, and then he flipped the tables. It looked like he was angry at these people's abuse of the marginalized. But he still didn't harm anyone, nor did he oppress anyone. Quite the opposite. Jesus was not one of the powerful ones in his time. In fact, he was a nobody to these powerful people, including the religious elite and these money changers and those who funded them. So, Jesus offers his very uncharacteristic anger towards the money changers in the temple. He offers a different set of rules by which to live. He's hoping to shift the paradigm, to put it that way. He says that the rules are not what they seem. We do not pay for everything, he's trying to say. A person's worth is not tied to their net worth in financials. Some things, like human beings, and like the faith that the temple represents, live in a place beyond the change rate. So the temple, by Jesus using the temple, it may be destroyed, he says, but it'll be raised up. The real rules of God's universe are more than the fake greed-driven rules society has long chosen to live by over and over again. Jesus is not talking about only shifting mental paradigms. He's talking about the norms that society operates by. He means to turn the greedy tables around literally, but also as a symbol of what his greater hopes for the world are as well. I think if Jesus were to physically turn tables around today, he would turn them in a spin on those hanging on to the vast majority of the world's wealth while some are homeless and hungry, and others who are supposedly middle class struggle to make ends meet. 
I think he would turn the tables on the politicians who take money to do the bidding of the wealthiest, highest percentage of citizens in the world in order to ensure their further enrichment to the detriment of the poorest citizens among us. I think Jesus would turn the tables on the debt machine that has been created by those with the most power and wealth to act in order to keep the poor and the poorer and enrich themselves even further. Jesus spoke out most often, if you read the Gospels, against greed than nearly any single topic. He knew how powerfully greed could ensnare even well-intentioned human beings. Jesus would be none too thrilled with those championing their favorite economic systems, be it capitalism or whatever else, more than they championed the welfare of their most vulnerable neighbors. Jesus would rise up right from among the stench of self-absorption and neighborly neglect and demand a change. He would flip the tables on Wall Street and also in some dining rooms in our homes, and surprisingly probably in some church foyers, maybe even in sanctuaries where love of money and power is lifted up more than the needs of neighbors, particularly the most vulnerable. C.S. Lewis pictured the spirit of the Christ as a lion named Aslan in his famous children's series, Chronicles of Narnia. This symbolic representation of the spirit of the Christ has always both delighted me as well as given me a certain pause. Like Aslan, the spirit of the Christ has a way of bursting out of the boxes we try to keep them in the spiritual closets in which we seek to store the untamable spirit of the Christ that lives and loves to see justice and compassion and truth and peace become our norms. This spirit of the Christ still shows up quite often in ghettos as well as in banks. Again and again, this spirit of the Christ still speaks and moves and turns tables over through the words, the deeds, and the hands of all those who work on the Spirit's behalf, even those who do not name it as such. And those with the eyes to see. Mostly, in the stories we find in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find Jesus showing compassion feeding, fellowshipping with the most vulnerable citizens. But when outright corruption, when greed and religion and power all become sickly intertwined, and it seemed as if no one was listening, he flipped the tables. Jesus was shifting the understanding of the temple, or for that matter, the understanding of what we now call church in this text as well. He was shifting the paradigm. As one of our most famous United Church of Christ scholars, Walter Brueggemann, puts it, there are at least three First Testament images for church. One is the Davidic, or temple-based people. Another is wilderness. And the third is alternative community. That which Jesus called the kingdom of God, 
that which Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called the beloved community. We talk a lot about wilderness, but we may actually be moving out of wilderness into an alternative community if we're paying attention. Sadly, with how we tend to regard money and numbers in the church today, we don't act alternative so much as we act temple. Depends on when you catch us. I hope our church can help shift things more radically in our own lifetimes towards the alternative community we were intended to become. Jesus runs the money changers, the bean counters, right out of the temple, and he's asking the people of God to live from an alternative basis. And if we truly follow Jesus' lead, we too are being asked to live by new rules, rules beyond the old rules of exchange, where an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth were the norms. It may be that this pandemic is becoming less of a worldwide crisis, at least according to the numbers of new infections. However, there's still so much uncertainty that's going on during this once-in-a-generation, we hope, bit of history that we are all now living through. And it just might be that this pandemic has allowed us the opportunity to change the way we think about whatever normal is. The norms of how we do church, for that matter, and what it means to really be a community of faith. We sure miss our beloved buildings and being together in that sanctuary, in that atmosphere that so many of us simply took for granted prior to March of 2020. I can't believe it's been a year. However, we have seen that being the church during this year is less about where we worship and more about where we practice living into our identity as the alternative community, the one driven by love and justice, by serving others, by emptying ourselves instead of stuffing ourselves to the gills with everything we can sock away. No amount of reflection can bring back those we have lost or erase the pain that we have endured this past year, that is for sure. But maybe, just maybe, we can remember who we were called to become and to be for God and for one another. It has very little to do with buildings, actually. Sometimes we love those the world forgets and steps on. Sometimes we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and care for the orphan. But sometimes... Sometimes, when we see greed and pious religiosity and corruption converge and come down right on the backs of those that God has called us to champion, the most vulnerable among us, we have to wake up from the trance that so easily sets in on us and dulls our senses and causes us to drift and these dear marginalized ones to suffer now, if you read this past week's daily readings and reflections that we have asked you to consider reading for the Lenten season, you may have read the incredible poem by the Reverend Sarah T. R. called Flipping Tables. 
I leave you with her words and then a thought. Here's her poem, Flipping Tables. I woke up and realized I was sitting at a table that oppression built. The patriarchy made the food. Cheap labor sewed the tablecloth. The guest list was exclusive. Fear was the host. And the people seemed happy. But the food tasted awful. Because milk and honey are reserved for God's promised day. So, hold on to your silverware. Because now that I see it, I cannot unsee it. This table is about to be flipped. May God, friends, grant us the wisdom to know when to be merciful and when to flip tables on behalf of those who are only allowed to eat the crumbs that sometimes fall below. May our own desire for to be liked and for acceptance and status never be the thing that leads us. For we know where the path of self-promotion and greed and popularity will try and take us. Let us instead choose God's system of economics and God's system of community. Let us choose God's way of being successful. Let us choose God's beloved community. Again and again, we have been shown the way. So let us recommit ourselves to see it through once again. Amen.